Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features senior pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. And now, here's Pastor Eric. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the first big text that we will get to today as we look at a number of different Scripture passages. Well, this is what we have seen. In the month of April, we have looked at the resurrection, right? That's what you do in April. You look at the resurrection. Jesus died on the cross for our sins on Good Friday, but praise God, the tomb is empty on Easter Sunday. He rose. The resurrection preaches this truth that Jesus returned to life. But if you were here last Sunday, we looked at what happens 40 days after Easter. And that is the ascension. And the ascension says that after Jesus returned to life, that Jesus returned to the Father. I agree. I'm a little hot. I guess maybe it's from play and be mad at me. I'm bumping down one. Just a 71, okay? Uh, It's just, uh, just what we need to do this morning. Okay, so the ascension says Jesus returned to the Father. We also hit on this point that Jesus will one day return for His church, right? If I go away, Jesus said, I will come back. And when Jesus returns, Jesus returns to reward. That's what we're going to look at today. At Jesus' return, there will be rewards for the church. So a sermon I've titled, Rewards for the Church. If you're watching online, we want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're tuning in to be a part of the sermon. And Landon Crest, if you are watching there in what, boot camp, the military guy, we want to say hello to you. Also watching online, uh, thinking of you this morning also. Rewards for the church. Some of the last words that Jesus said in the book of Revelation, you see them there on the screen, perhaps. It says, behold, the words of Christ in red. Behold, I am coming soon. How many of you believe that? Amen. I'm coming soon. And Jesus said, my reward is with me. His words. Some of His last words. To John, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. To the churches, my reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what He has done. Even as we prepared for Easter and we talked about the resurrection, we also talked about Jesus, that grain of wheat. And He said, unless that grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It produces much fruit. When that same passage, Jesus said these words, If anyone serves me, he must also follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, catch this part, the Father will honor him. So Jesus is buried in order to rise, to return to life. He ascends in order to return to the Father. So one day he can descend for his church. But when he comes for his church, there will be rewards. His words. And I want us to talk about that today. I want us to think about the rewards for the Christian, the rewards for the saint. This is the truth all throughout the Bible is that the final victory, and there is a final victory, the final victory brings a reward. We want to see things with a final victory. Don't you you hate it when a game goes into a tie? We've eliminated that in our sports, right? We have overtime. We We don't like just, well, just a tie. 
We don't like not keeping score. Like everybody wins, right? Some, we want a final victory. We want somebody to be rewarded. I've been to some of your houses. I've seen your rewards. Some of you have trophies. Some of you have little plaques or certificates. I have things. You have things, right? We stash them away, but we're still like kids when we pull them out. And we say, I won this. Or, this was my accomplishment from the glory days, right? And we, we, we like awards, right? The past couple of Wednesday nights, thank you. School system, uh, I've missed all of you because you've been at awards night, right? You had the awards night one Wednesday night. You had senior awards night. and We like to see our kids get awards. That's, that's a good thing. It's, it's proper. It's right. It's fitting to, to give awards. So we're familiar with rewards, awards around this time. But they're earthly awards. One day when Jesus returns, when He descends, when He sets His foot on the Mount of Olives, as we talked about or alluded to last week, He will say to his bride, Bride, you are going to be adorned. You are going to be honored. You are going to be rewarded. At that marriage supper of the Lamb, the, the, the bride puts on the white cloth. You know, the purity, final purity forever. Sin no more. Can you imagine? Right? Adorned and, and then honored, given titles and names and awards and privileges and crowns. We'll look at today. The bride will be rewarded at that final victory. It's worth it here, isn't it? But it'll also be worth it there. It's worth it here. But even as Christians, we still need that motivation to know, but it'll also be worth it there. And so much more. It's worth it here, Paul would say, but wow, it's, it's so worth it in the end if we could just see eternity and live in light of that fact. Can you imagine the fulfillment, the finality of the kingdom of God will bring? We like the... the finality of some things, something coming to an end, a job well done, a conclusion of things. Uh, I'm rabbit trailing here, but some of you on your jobs, your jobs carry more of a sense of finality. You ended that project, you completed it, well done, awesome, this, or you, you finished that class, you get a new class. You know, you, you, some, some jobs are like that. Some jobs are not so much like that. A pastor's job kind of not like that. When, when am I, when's it reached finality or completion? Right? So even Dr. Ken, you know, he'll talk about, look, you need to get some, some kind of hobby or something else because the pastor's job is never done. There's never this sense of finality. I mean, maybe for an event or something, but it's like, when are you done? Well, maybe when everybody reaches glory, you know? So it's like, when, you're always constantly like... Rah, rah, rah. But I got to thinking about that. We, we like the sense of fulfillment that we have in that it's finished. It's, it's done. That was an awesome project. Move to the next, Right? Can you imagine in the kingdom of God, there must be this sense of, ah, for the, the church, for the bride, of we did it. Discipleship, evangelism, we, we did those things uh, in the church age. You don't need much discipleship or evangelism in church, right? It's one thing you can't do in heaven is evangelize, do it now. Right? Worship will continue, but in the fellowship, right? But even the ministry, I mean, so, some, in that sense, in the kingdom of God, of knowing that all things are done, they're, they're accomplished, the final victory is there, Christ has given the reward, and now we are we're, we're complete. The ministry is complete. Wow, what an what a awesome sense of feeling that must be like in the kingdom. Rabbit trail over, okay? Let me give you three uh, points real quickly about rewards, just random thoughts. Number one is this, the rewards for the Christian, we'll put them on the screen, and the desire for them is not a bad thing. Some of you, some of us, we think, oh, whenever we talk about rewards in the church, that's a bad thing. Like, oh, we should never desire rewards. Well, that's not biblical. 
Jesus talked about rewards. I'll read you some. The New Testament writers talk about rewards. So talking about rewards, it's not a bad thing. Even the desire for them is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that you know, your motives are wrong or anything. I mean, you can evaluate. We'll talk about those things. But the rewards for the Christian and the desire for them are not a bad thing in and of themselves. Number two, we need to note this, that the rewards of God look different than the rewards of man. Amen? The rewards of God look different than the rewards of man. Remember the rich young ruler, and I'm kind of rabbit trailing here too, but remember he he's asks all these questions, and right, and Jesus says, well, you know, go and sell all you have, and then you'll have riches in the kingdom of heaven. Peter, Matthew chapter 19, if you're interested later, Peter goes, well, what about us, Lord? We've left everything to follow you. Even Peter's thinking was, well, what's going to be our reward? I mean, we've given up a lot, Lord, to follow you. And Jesus says, look, those of you who have left father, mother, sister, those of you who have left fields in this, you, you, you will have a reward. Now, he specifically tells the twelve, and you'll sit on twelve thrones in the kingdom. That's not me and you, but that's for them, right? So even, even Peter had a desire for, for rewards, but we have to say the rewards of God look different than the rewards of men. When you read the parallel passage in Mark 10, he says you'll get these and persecutions, right? And in this life. Because in this life, all of the twelve, <laughs> you know, suffered persecution. Beheading and crucifixion upside down. And, you know, they all got killed. The first will be last, the last will be first. Jesus even says that. So he's kind of saying, look, you'll be rewarded, disciples. But the rewards of God look different than the rewards of man. You may be thinking health, wealth, and prosperity like the false gospel that's preached from many pulpits. That's not it. It's going to be the rewards of God. His time, His way, the way He seeks to give. Thirdly, the great truth is this. The rewards come in the presence of Christ. Amen? When do the rewards come? Well, yes, there are some blessings here and now, but we receive those rewards that we're going to look at today in the presence of Jesus. In the presence of Christ, when He descends, when He returns, He returns to reward the church. To say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Enter into rest. Enter into victory. Enter into reward. So let's look at a passage where Paul sort of draws an illusion, an illustration from some local games that were held around Corinth. They were called the Isthmian Games. Isthmian, if you have a list, that's hard to say. And the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games were held every two years. And so what the athletes would have to do is they would have to go to Corinth, and for ten months, they would have to train. So the Corinthian people, they're familiar with athletics, and they had a huge stadium, and they see these athletes for ten months training. And Paul says, I know you guys like sports. Let me use an illustration. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, I'll read verse 16 through 27, but verse 24 will appear on the screen. We'll, we'll pick it up there. I'll just give you some context. Paul says, if I preach the gospel, that's what he's doing. That gives me no ground for boasting, bragging, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe to us, Adairsville Baptist, if we don't proclaim the gospel. Verse 17, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But not of my own will... I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. That's my steward, so I still have to steward that. Verse 18, what then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. He did so as not to make full use of the right in the gospel. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. That's reward language. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though myself not under the law, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, 
I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, if you want to make any kind of rebuttal. Uh, then I might, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people. He said, I'm trying to reach everybody. That I, by all means, might save some. For I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And here's the illustration. Do you not know, church, do you not know that in a race, all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? We like it that way, right? One person gets the award. They win. They are victorious. Don't you know that they all run, they all compete, but only one receives the prize? And then he says this, so run that you may obtain it. Don't be a jogging Christian. Don't be a walking Christian. Don't be, right, the, the speed walking church. Run with all your effort, with all your heart, with all your endurance. So run, so run that you may obtain it. Run to win. Don't just run to be in the race. Run to win. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They saw this for those 10 months. They do it. Why? Why do they do all that? Why all the hard work on the court and the field? They do it to receive a perishable wreath. A pine wreath, I'm told, in these games. They did it for a pine wreath. What do we do it for, right? Like some trophy we lift up and kiss, and it's, I mean, come on. It's more than that, but it's just a trophy that perishes. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, in this Christian life race, we receive the imperishable wreath. So Paul says, I don't run aimlessly. I don't run, I don't box as one beating the air or just flinging my arms and running wherever. I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What motivates the hard work? What motivates the effort? It's the victory. It's the prize. It's the reward. But the victory and the prize and the reward is it's Christ. It's eternal life. It's the eternal gospel. It's the imperishable, right? So he says, so set your mind on that. Nothing wrong with that desire. The athletes have that desire. Have that, that desire and that mindset and, and pursue Christ in that way. I mean, with all diligence, with all effort. Give 110%, as the coach would say. So I want us to think about rewards for the church. I'm using this as a key text, but I want us to see some other texts. And I want to give you three images of rewards that I think are pretty important in Scripture. There are three images Three aspects, if you will, of awards. And the first is this. It is the Bema seat. The Bema seat, uh, that Greek word uh, Bema meaning uh, like stairs that would go up, uh, a seat on a platform kind of like this with a, a, like a tribunal. It was a judgment seat, a ruling seat. The Bema seat. We're told that Pilate sat on a Bema seat. Remember when Pilate makes the ruling of, of Jesus on that, that Friday right morning and he's sitting on a Bema seat. It is his judicial seat. The Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, you look up that word, he also appeared before a couple of different Bema seats when he would go before the, the officials and he would give his testimony and he would plead his case. But we are told in Scripture of a Bema seat, the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema seat is this place of judgment, yes, or ruling, yes, but it's also, it was also a place of giving out the awards. There from the Bema seat, the person, the victor, is awarded the crown, the wreath. 
And so there are two passages. I'll put them quickly on the screen for you. First one's found in Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. He's writing to the church. Okay, so two Christians. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? That's Christian language, right? Brother and sister. So number one, we need to be a part of the family of God. This is, this is the language that it's dealing with. We're not talking about the lost and outsiders necessarily. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister in the church? Why do you despise your brother? For we, plural, all of us, but we the church, we brothers and sisters, will all stand before the judgment seat of God. You might have a footnote, some manuscripts, the judgment seat of Christ. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, right, that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the Father, all that. Um, you, you go to the next one. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The next one's found in 2 Corinthians 5.10. This is the other place where you see the language of the Bema seat. And Paul, again, writing to the church, says, For we, plural, all of us brothers and sisters in Christ, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, body whether good or evil. So when we teach you know, end times, there are some different views uh, many, we can hold to those kind of loosely, but one is that we're living in the church age. Maybe the next event is a rapture of the church. If you believe in that, a pre-tribulational rapture followed by the tribulation. And, and during that time, if the saints are with the Lord in the clouds, 1 Thessalonians 4 would be the judgment seat of Christ. Believers, not unbelievers. Um, and then the marriage supper of the Lamb. Believers, not unbelievers. Other ways, even if you have other end times views, it would still work that, that we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's an image of reward. It, it, what it's saying, what the Scripture is saying is this, is that there will be a day when the Christian, even the church, will answer before God, what did you do with your talent, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. You stand before the judgment seat and he's, he's not questioning your salvation. That's settled. You're a child of God. He's saying, how did you, what did you do with the works? How did you steward the gospel? How did you steward the talent, the time, the treasure that I gave you, the things that you did, whether good or, or whether evil? Were you a good steward or not? Again, where does the reward come? In the presence of Christ. It's at the judgment seat of Christ. So just the concept in Scripture of the Bema seat means that there will be a, a, a ruling, a reckoning, a recompense. Church, you will be repaid. You will be adorned and glorified and honored and awarded at the Bema seat of Christ. Number two, there's another image that speaks of rewards. Another aspect, and it's the crowns. The crowns of Scripture. Now, I don't know if these are literal crowns that we'll receive in glory. I tend to think they're more metaphorical, uh, symbolic type crowns. Uh, some of you like Dr. David Jeremiah. He wrote uh, some kind of little booklet on the five crowns. Uh, I have five there, but I took one away that he includes. I just think it's more of uh, Paul's crown, the church. Maybe a little different, but he's smarter than me, so... We'll, we'll, we'll look at that one some other time. But I want to show you the crowns of Scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9.25, this is the passage that we opened with, talks about this, that there would be an imperishable wreath. right? Verse 25, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. That one day we will receive an imperishable crown that will never fade that will never go away. That crown representing victory, it, it representing award, it representing well done, good and faithful servant. 
The Apostle Paul writes, you don't have to turn there, but in his last letter as he writes from that cave, the Mamertine prison in Rome, you can go there today, and he was chained there in that cave to that pole and the soldier being there, and he wrote his last letter, his last dying words to Timothy. He knows his time has come, and it would shortly after he would be pulled out and beheaded. But a second Timothy 4, 7, and 8 says, I fought the good fight. Right? He wasn't just aimlessly throwing my arms. He's wanting the punches to land. When this person, when this person, go all out for the gospel, no half-hearted service or worship, I finished the race, endured to the end. I mean, no walking, no, no laziness. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord... The righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, listen to what he says, but also to all who have loved His appearing. All who have loved His appearing receive a crown of righteousness. Now, is it a literal crown? Maybe not. It's the righteousness of Christ. The righteous one gives us righteousness. Right now, we are justified, declared righteous. We are in the process of being sanctified, like progressive righteousness. We're working on that. But one day we'll be glorified ultimate righteousness. And when does that crown of righteousness come? The ultimate righteousness, the ultimate glorification. No more sin will be perfect. We'll see Him as He is and we'll be changed. It comes in the presence of Christ, right? It comes at the end, Paul says. James 1.12 mentions another crown. You don't really want to have to go through the experience to get this crown because it is so much for persecution. But James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I mean, if you love his appearing, you're, you're a saint, right? You will be made righteous. You will have that crown. If you remain steadfast under trial, and that trial could look different. It certainly looked different in James's day, right? But if you remain steadfast, you receive a crown of life, right? Death won't hurt you. It'll kill you, but it won't be your ultimate end. You'll receive in the presence of Jesus a crown of life, eternal life, forever and ever, right? 1 Peter 5.4 speaks about a different crown. A crown in the context is for elders of the church, those that take a part in shepherding the church. And 1 Peter 5.4 says this, when the chief shepherd appears, amen, the ultimate pastor, uh, your pastor, Jesus He is the chief shepherd appears, when he appears, that's when you get it, when he appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. The unfading crown of glory. It doesn't fade. It's glory forever. Why? Because you're with Jesus and he wears that crown and that's imparted to the church glory for forever. Number five, the crown of life. Revelation 2.10. You could turn over to Revelation. This would be a good one to look at because we'll be there next. The book of Revelation is written to seven churches in Asia Minor. They are on a mailing route in the shape of a sea, like a crescent crescent shape, if you will. They start in Ephesus and it ends in Laodicea. And each of the seven churches gets a letter. But he writes this in 2.10. This is to the church at Smyrna. Not Georgia, but of that area. They were, man, they, they were persecuted. They really, this was a church that had a lot of tough stuff. He says, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. They had extreme persecution. And for ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. 
Don't, don't, don't be afraid to be that martyr. I don't want to be a member of that church. Maybe sometimes he calls. He calls our brothers and sisters around the world to be a part of churches that get martyred. You saw some of that in the India video. Be faithful unto death. Here's the promise to them. I'll give you the crown of life. Right? That crown, he says, you're going to get a crown of life. That's your reward. So be faithful. Know the, know the award. Know the reward. It's not a bad thing. Know that that's coming. And that will give you motivation to be steadfast and to endure to the very end. You will receive the crown of life. Notice we receive all these things by Jesus. How do they come? How do the crowns come? By Jesus. We keep reading, you know, Christ will reward. We get it from Jesus. But beware, Romans 3.11, to one church, he says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. We don't want to lose any of those crowns. It's the imperishable, right? It's the righteousness, the life, the glory, the eternality of, of being with the Lord forever. It speaks of reward that Christ was buried to rise. Return to life, to return to the Father, to ascend, to descend, to come for His church. And when He comes for His church, He has reward, honor to be given. It's great. The third image or aspect of reward that I want you to see is right there in Revelation. And it's something that I think is appropriate because we see it in each of the seven letters to those seven churches. Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. And I call them the seven overcomer promises. Uh, in each one, there's a promise. You could go for it. This would make a great Bible study. Take, take Revelation 2 and 3, go through the churches, look for a place, look for a problem, look for a praise, look for a prescription, look for a possible judgment, look for a promise. And you can look for a person, Jesus Christ, because He's described as there. That's a lot of P's, isn't it? Go through there and, and see if you can find them all. And each of the seven has a promise. And when Jesus makes the promise, He's speaking he'll say something like this. Let's see. Look at the church at Ephesus. Uh, if you would like to, you go down to the very last verse of uh, 2.7, the last sentence. ESV says this, to the one who conquers. Um, another translation, to the one who overcomes. I think the Holman Christian Standard Version says to the victor. It's, it's all award language, reward language. You are the overcomer. You are the conqueror. You are the victor. And then to each one, he gives them a promise. To Ephesus, he says, I'll grant... To eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Um, you go down to the next church, it's in 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, for all the churches, the one who conquers, to the overcomer, to the victor. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And it just keeps going with each one. They all get an overcomer promise. So what he's saying is, the victorious, and the church will be victorious. The church will be triumphant. Amen? Man, that's our hope. right? We may feel defeated now. We may feel like there's a struggle now. We may feel like, where's the earthly reward now? Well, it looks different, right? It doesn't come in the plaque and it's, it's different. I'm not going to get it on awards night, right? But that award comes when Christ chooses to give it and it's worth it and it's going to be in His presence and it's going to be totally awesome because the victorious church, the victorious in Christ are rewarded. Very quickly, let me give you some... I know these are different language uh, sermons. We're going to get back into the ones where it's just expository and I go verse by verse, but uh, I felt led on this one. Let me give you what Jesus told His followers about reward. He said there would be a reward. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 12, Blessed are you when others persecute you 
and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Nothing wrong. Jesus taught it. Your reward for that is great. It's great in heaven. It's in heaven. Matthew 6, in verse 4, in verse 6, in verse 18, He says this, And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now here's your another Bible study. Write this down. Go back in Matthew 6 and find the three things that He says, If you do them this way, your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. He actually says when you, go study it, when you do this, when you do this, and when you do this. If you do it in the right way, your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. There's a reward. Nothing wrong with it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 41 and 42. Jesus says, The one who receives a prophet, because he's a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. In the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus said in Luke 6, Love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So see, even Jesus speaks about reward. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to desire. It's not a bad thing to talk about. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't put it out there. Jesus says, yes, and you'll be rewarded. Do it for me. Do it for the glory. But know that you'll be awarded. Take your Bible. One last passage that you can turn to is Romans 2. I saw this a while back and I wrote it down and I thought I'd, I'd really like to study that, that verse more. And then as I was studying this, it, it kind of led to the reward part of it. And it's Romans 2, 6, it's really 6 through 11. We'll look at 6 through 8. Look at what Paul says. Now Romans is all about the gospel, right? The first part you have condemnation, righteousness lacking. Next part, you have justification, righteousness declared and provided. And then you have sanctification, righteousness worked out throughout the, the rest, right? Uh, Romans 1 through 3, condemnation, righteousness lacking, right? Romans 3 through 5, justification, righteousness declared. And then the rest of the book is righteousness provided, worked out, sanctification, all of that. But in that condemnation thing, he's, he's showing that we're sinful. He's also showing that God's a judge and every man must give an account. And Look at what he says in Romans 2, 6 through 8. God's righteous judgment. He will render, give, reward, <laughs> repay. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek, not, not a bad thing. We ought to be patient and well-doing. We're seeking something. Uh, Seek for glory and honor and immortality. He'll give reward by grace, eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. There'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. To the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. 
Are you with me? I, we're doing, we kind of different this morning. Um, I want to show you something cool. If you need a Tylenol, you just take a Tylenol real quick. But for those of you who are women, you're really heady. I want to show you something cool in Scripture because it's too neat to pass over. I want to show you the structure pattern of this verse. And it's, it's going to do like this. You're going to have an A and an A. And you're going to have a B and a B. And you're going to have a C and a C right in the middle. Right? I forget what they call it. Uh, chiasm? I don't know. Uh, sorry, professors that you're watching. But look at this. L- look at the first verse, 6. He will render to each according to his works. God is the judge. He is the faithful judge. That's the top A. Now look at the bottom A in verse 11. For God shows no partiality. He's fair. Right? So there's the, it's on the beginning of this and on the end of this. He'll render to each according to his works. He'll judge. He'll show no partiality. God is fair. Now go in and look at the sandwich as it gets kind of narrower. The, the bees. Look at verse 7. To those who by patience and well-doing, this is the positive group, seek glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. Jump down to verse 10, the lower B. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. That's the positive there. All right, and then go to the middle two C's. They're right together. Verse 8, the top C. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And then the bottom C, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first. See how he works it there? And then he works it back out? You with me, some of you? That's pretty neat. It's a beautiful pattern of Scripture. And the, uh, sometimes the Psalms do that. There are other places that, that have that pattern. A, A, B, B, C, C. And what he's doing is he's working it all. And his main point really is the ends of saying, look, God's fair and just. And God will reward, fair, to those who they, they seek glory and honor and eternal life. Not Nothing wrong with that. But know that there's either going to be, here it is, reward or retribution, right? What's coming for you? Reward or retribution. So, big point, it's not wrong to seek the reward. Just make sure you love the rewarder more. Amen? It's not wrong to seek the reward. Nothing wrong with, nothing unbiblical with that. Just make sure you love the rewarder more. Ah, He rewards, and I love Him. And it's not so much about the reward, but it's about the rewarder. But we can treasure both reward and rewarder. Listen to what the Scriptures say. 1 Corinthians 3.14 If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Hebrews 10, 35, Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. In Hebrews eleven six 6, in that Hall of Faith chapter, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God, number one, must believe that He exists. Number two, that He rewards those who seek Him. Pastor and Professor George Guthrie says, this life of faith involves confidence that God will reward those who exercise such faith. So treasuring the reward or treasuring the rewarder, Jesus, it's empowering. That should do something in our lives. And here's the two things that it does. Treasuring the rewarder and the reward brings us, number one, hope. And it gives us, number two, motivation. 
I don't know about you, but like when I study this, it gives me hope because it can be, these can be hopeless times when we don't see the earthly rewards that we like to see as pastors or Christian leaders, right? We look around and go, what's all this serving? Like some of you are serving, you're like, what's the reward in this, right? I mean, this is a day sometimes when it can be, we can lose heart. We can grow weary and lose heart in this and say, what's the reward in, in obedience and service and sacrifice and, and studying this? Whoa, 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 whoa. It gives us hope that it's entirely worth it. Yes, it's worth it here, but it will be worth it so much greater at the Bema seat when the crowns, metaphorical or literal, come and we cast them back at the feet of Jesus, right? When we receive the final victor, conqueror, overcomer promise, and all the, those are metaphorical, read them, study them, and all those things that they mean for the church, right? It gives us hope that in this life, it's not my reward, but my reward is there, and I can keep going. So it gives us, number two, motivation. Hope. And, and then motivation. Keep going. Don't stop. Oh man, great is our reward. Great is the reward in, in heaven if we'll just steward, if we won't lose the crown, right? If we'll continue to seek one day you will be rewarded for things done here in Jesus' name. Right? Those things that are done in Jesus' name, they're covered by the blood of Jesus that we sang about. They're covered by the grace of Jesus, right? Because nothing's perfect. I'm not pure. But Christ will take those. He will redeem those. And He will crown those. I like what Pastor uh, Theologian J.I. Packer says. When God rewards our work, He's crowning His own gifts. Don't you love that? It's not about us. right? It's not about the rewards, getting a big head of what's in it for me, right? the prosperity of it. No. When Christ in the end rewards our work, all He's really doing is crowning His Spirit, crowning His work, crowning His grace, crowning what He's done for us. And then we give our awards to Jesus, don't we? It's Jesus, this, it's for you. Jesus, all of that was for you. Jesus, forever worship. Forever fellowship. What will we be rewarded for? What will we be re rewarded for? I believe Scripture teaches a faith that works, a love that labors, and a hope that endures. What will be the reward? I believe Scripture teaches us life, glory, and honor with Jesus. And how can we be rewarded? Be in Christ. Be found in Christ. Be saved. As I close right now, we stand between two rulings. There are two rulings that are going to be declared. Every person stands between two rulings. One favorable and one not. At your time of judgment, will you receive commendation or condemnation? Will you receive reward or retribution? Praise or punishment? Acclamation or accusation? Will you have joy or will you experience fear? The question is, do you know the judge? And do you know Him as Jesus? Do you know Him as Lord and Savior? Do you know Him as the One who gives you the victory? Thanks be to God right, for our victory that's in Christ Jesus. If you know Him as Savior, and I hope you do, one of the old, old preachers says this, the price demanded, He paid. The righteousness required, He wrought. The strength necessary, He furnishes. The Spirit needed, He bestows. The wisdom requisite, He imparts. It's Jesus, amen? Jesus is our reward. 
That's it. He's the reward. He's coming in His presence. His second coming will be all the reward for us. There was a man who wrote something in 1862. I'd like to close with it. 1862, he writes, What is it that comforts you in your troubles, lightens your labors, helps you in difficulties? Is it not that Jesus Himself is your exceeding great reward? It is not merely the promises, not even the prospect of glory. It is Jesus Himself as your very own possession which constitutes your reward. To this you look. On this you repose that Jesus is yours, that you are Jesus's, that Jesus and you are eternally one. If Jesus is your exceedingly great reward here, then how much more so in the world to come? He'll show you more and more of His fullness. He'll unfold to you the riches of His love. He'll open His arms to receive you. He will take you into His very heart and soul. You shall be swallowed up in Jesus. What is true happiness? What is heaven? What is glory to come? Is it not the person of Jesus to behold Him with your own eyes, to hear Him with your own ears, to feast forever on the divine radiance of His countenance, to forever drink in the refreshments of His glory. Oh, believer, this is what you have to repose in. Christ has said, I am exceedingly your great reward. Let's pray together. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Making Christ Known. We invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from Adairsville Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.